Collective Radio. You are listening to Texas History Lessons, a slow walk through Texas history made in Texas by a Texan for everyone everywhere. This is Texas History Lessons. I'm Michael, and thanks for joining me again as we look at another episode of This Month in Texas History, where we take a look at May and many of the significant events that have happened in Texas through its history during this month. May in Texas is a time to enjoy spring in full, as everything greens and trees continue adding leaves and flowers bloom. And among the many things observed during the month of May, um... May is Cystic Fibrosis Awareness Month, Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, it's National Burger Month, and it's Jewish American Heritage Month. May is also full of specific days that mark special events and remembrances. May the 4th is Free Comic Book Day, World Naked Gardening Day, and it's Star Wars Day, so may the 4th be with you on May the 4th. May the 5th is... Of course, Cinco de Mayo. More on this later. May the 6th is International No Diet Day. May the 8th is Miguel Hidalgo's birthday. We're going to be learning a lot about him when we get into the wars for Mexican independence. And May the 23rd is World Turtle Day. Whatever that is. May is also very important because on May the 14th, we could celebrate my wife's birthday. And as I've said before, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be doing this show without her support and constant help. Now, let's look back through the centuries at a few important historic events in Texas that occurred in the month of May. And this first one is extremely important and significant in the history of Texas. And you'll see why soon. So I'm going to spend a little bit of extra time on this particular day, May the 1st. And what happened on that day and who was involved because it is so important. So let's begin with Father Antonio de San Buenaventura y Olivares, who was born in Andalusia, Spain, sometime about 1630. Another source says 1640. Can't really figure that out. There's not a lot of solid dates on his birth. Both seem to be very respectable sources. So we're just going to kind of say, but sometime between 1630 and 1640, he was born. And it's going to matter because what he accomplished that's so important for Texas happened when he was quite old. And we'll get to that. Olivares joined the Franciscan order. And at the age of 35, he traveled to the Americas and he arrived in the province of Jalisco as a cleric or priest at that time. He spent many years of mission work in Zacatecas And in 1699, when he was 69 years old, or 59, depending on when he was born, Father Antonio Margil de Jesus, the guardian of the College of Santa Cruz de Queretaro, chose Olivares and another Franciscan, Marcos de Guarina, for work in northern Coila. They joined Father Francisco Hidalgo to found Mission San Juan Batista on St. John's Day, June the 24th, 1699, on the Rio de Sabinas, about 25 miles north of Lampasos, Nuevo León, Mexico. It served as a mission for about 150 Indians of various Coatecan 
bands. This mission lasted only a few months at that site before being moved to the site of present-day Guerrero, Coila, 35 miles down the Rio Grande from Eagle Pass and Piedras Negras, and it was moved to spread the faith to the Coitecum hunters and gatherers of the area and beyond the Rio Grande in modern-day Texas. He also helped found Mission San Francisco Solano in the same area in 1700 and San Bernardo in 1702. In 1709, Olivares accompanied Pedro de Aguirre's expedition north as a chaplain on an entrada. And they reached the site of San Antonio, modern San Antonio, which was the location of a Payaya Indian village at San Pedro Springs, known as Yanaguana. We covered this a lot in the episodes on the Coetacons. For the priests, it was a disappointing trip because it dispelled hope that the Tejas Indians were going to welcome the return of Spanish missions farther east in East Texas. But he saw something about this site that inspired him. He then traveled to Spain and for six years labored as an advocate for expanded missionary activities in Texas. He returned to New Spain in 1716 at age 86 or 76 and determined to return to San Pedro Springs. Don Baltazar de Zuniga, the Marquis de Valero, who had recently been appointed the governor or viceroy of New Spain, approved Olivares' plan to remove the dwelling mission of San Francisco Solano to the site of San Pedro Springs. Now, it, there was a delay for so, some time, couple of years, in fact, before it actually got started, and in 1718, Martin de Alarcón, the new governor of Coila and Texas, having been instructed to found a mission presidio and settlement on the San Antonio River as Olivares had wanted, set out from San Juan Bautista in April. Now, for some reason we won't get into here, Olivares and Alarcón didn't really get along. Um, one source, the Texas History Association's Handbook of Texas, actually called him cantankerous. Um, so when the time came to set out to ghost found the mission, Olivares refused to travel with the governor and traveled separately with a small escort. And on May the 1st, 1718, Olivares arrived to the site of modern San Antonio and founded Mission San Antonio de Valero. The mission was named after Portuguese Catholic priest Fernando Martins de Bulhos, who lived between the years 1195 and 1231 and was canonized as Saint Antonio, or Anthony, of Padua by Pope Gregory IX on May 30th, 1232. Father Olivares began his mission work on the banks of the San Antonio River in a little thatched hut with three or four converted Indians to start with. The mission relocated three times until ultimately it arrived at its current location in 1724. Four days later, on May the 5th, 1718, marks the founding of the nearby San Antonio de Bear Presidio and the civil settlement Via de Bear 
And then Olivares retired from Mission San Antonio de Valero on September 8th, 1720. This was when he would have either been aged 80 or 90. He was already in poor health, ailing from an injured leg. And it's thought that he spent his remaining days at San Juan Batista or perhaps back at Carataro and died there 1722. Now, the area Olivares selected for the mission to convert the Coatecan groups near San Pedro Springs and beyond is one of the most important sites in Texas history. The modern city of San Antonio grew there, and the mission itself became popularly known as the Alamo. Now, I've hit on this in other episodes, but we'll go over why again. In 1803, after the mission had been secularized a few years before, the mission became the quarters for La Segunda Compañía Volante de San Carlos de Parras, or Alamo de Parras, which means the second flying company of San Carlos de Parras. And it was a company of about 100 British Lancers. And many people look at them as precursors to what became the Texas Rangers. Over time, the company's long name, because I'm not going to say it again, <laughs> was replaced with a shortened one. La Compañía del Alamo, or simply El Alamo. Through this association, Mission Valero came to be known as the Alamo. And some of the mission structures have survived as part of the Alamo Battlefield Shrine. And it's a very important place. It's going to be central to the story of Texas. And it is still a thriving city, beautiful place to visit. And when you go to visit the Alamo, remember, you're not just visiting a battlefield. You're visiting the first mission that was established there. Now, before we move on to the next event in May, that's significant for Texas history, I want to take a short pause and thank Age of Radio for hosting Texas History Lessons. May the 15th marks another special day of founding. On May 15th, 1755, about 150 miles southwest of San Antonio, Tomas Sanchez de la Barria y Garza founded Laredo with his family and several others. A cattleman and former soldier, Sanchez had already established a ranch on the south side of the Rio Grande in the 1750s. And by 1754, he was petitioning Jose de Escondon for permission to found a town on the north bank of the river. Escondon wanted him to go to the Nueces, but Sanchez went, looked, came back, said, there's really not a good place there. I really want to put my my town 10 leagues north of Dolores near Paso de Jacinto, later called the Old Indian Crossing, near Fort McIntosh, which didn't exist at the time. And so on May 15th, 1755, Laredo was born. From the establishment by Sanchez and three other families from Dolores, Laredo grew into the present metropolitan area in Webb County that has over 300,000 residents. In 1836, on May 14th, after being defeated at the Battle of San Jacinto, General Santa Anna and Interim President David G. Burnett signed two treaties at the town of Velasco. One was made public, the other was kept secret. The public treaty had several articles providing that the hostilities would cease, Santa Ana wasn't going to take up arms against Texas again, 
that the Mexican forces would withdraw beyond the Rio Grande, that property confiscated by Mexicans would be restored, that prisoners would be exchanged on an equal basis, that Santa Ana would be sent to Mexico as soon as possible, and that the Texas Army would not approach closer than five leagues to the retreating Mexicans. In the second secret agreement, Santa Ana agreed that he would, upon his immediate release, use his influence to secure recognition of Texas independence by Mexico. He also promised not to take up arms against Texas in it again, and to give orders for withdrawal from Texas of Mexican troops, in addition to several other items. Mexico, however, did not agree to provisions in either of these, and for several years, difficulties remained between the rebellious state and the mother country of Mexico. Another significant thing happened in May that same year, five days after the treaties were signed. On May 19th, 1836, a large number of Comanches, accompanied by Kiowas and Quiches, attacked Fort Parker in what is now Limestone County on the headwaters of the Navasota River. They took five captives. Eventually, four of these captives were released, but one remained with the Comanches for almost 25 years and became a Comanche in practice and in thought. Her name was Cynthia Ann Parker, and by the time she was recaptured, she had become a Comanche. She was the wife of Peyton Okona. She had Comanche children, and the most famous of them you're going to recognize is Quanah Parker. He was one of the last Comanche leaders to hold out against settling on a reservation until the United States Army had destroyed the Comanche's means of survival during a really devastating military campaign in the 1870s. And we're going to have a lot of fun when we get into all of these stories involving these events that we're talking about here. And you've probably all heard of the celebration of Cinco de Mayo, but do you know why it is significant? It is not, as many might think, Mexican Independence Day. It's not. On Cinco de Mayo, May 5th, in 1862, Mexican general and Texas native Ignacio Zaragoza defeated French expeditionary forces at Puebla, Mexico. Vastly outnumbered, Zaragoza defeated the French army, and it served as a great symbolic victory for the Mexican government and bolstered the resistance movement. It's kind of an opposite story of the Alamo. Vastly outnumbered, the people of the Alamo were all killed, and it was used as a symbolic defeat to inspire people to take up arms and stand against Mexico. Well, this was the opposite. This was a smaller force defeated a much larger force, and it was a symbolic victory that inspired people to continue to fight against France's attempt at invading Mexico, and they finally pulled out in 1867. May the 23rd, 1934, marks the anniversary of the deaths of notorious Texas outlaws Clyde Barrow and Bonnie Parker, Texas Ranger Frank Hamer, and his ambush took no chances at failure as the lawmen fired about 167 bullets into the bodies of the couple just outside Gibsland, Louisiana. But let's end our look at the month of May on a little bit more positive note than the bullet riddled bodies of Bonnie and Clyde. 
May the 1st marks the birthday of the Dallas Mavericks basketball team when Don Carter was awarded a franchise on May 1st, 1980 by the NBA. The team has had many ups and downs over its history, and I grew up being a young fan watching them play every chance I got, and I just wanted to be like Mark Aguirre and wear the number 24. Fast forward to the Mark Cuban, Dirk Nowitzki era, and then championship in 2011, and then fast forward even to today, and Dallas basketball fans have had many great memories following the team that Don Carter brought to Dallas. So that's going to wrap it up for this month in Texas history. But before we end, I want to thank Jared Flushy again for being Texas History Lessons first spotlight artist and allowing me to share some of his music. Now I'm excited to say that it's time to share a little of the spotlight with another amazing artist, Mando Salas. Mando Salas is an amazing musician and artist from the town of Del Rio, Texas. He's a native of Del Rio and he incorporates his roots into his songwriting. And the first time I ever heard his music, I was kind of awestruck. Like, where has this been for so long? Why haven't I been hearing this and listening to this already for a long time? And I was excited to go through every track I could find. He has this great distinctive voice. And with it, he can convey a lot of feeling, a lot of emotion. When he sings about love, you can feel it. When he sings about loss and pain, you can feel that loss and pain. And he's also a great musician, also. Couple that with a great voice, that's great music to listen to. Now, he started his live music career back in 2015. And if you're a fan of the Texas Bucket List, like I am, it's one of my favorite television shows. He's actually been featured on that. So you can go online and find that. In fact, you can go on YouTube and see and listen to a lot of his music. And so in 2016, he recorded his first single, Devil's River, which is one that I would have already worn out if we still relied on vinyl and cassette tapes. It's one of my, it's his first single and it's one of my very favorite songs he's done. And heck, let's be honest, I can say that about just about everything he sings they're they're each one of my favorites kind of like i was with with mr flushy's music pretty much there's not a one i'm not gonna hit skip on they're all great that's why i choose these people to share because i love it that much now in july 2018 mando released a song titled how it goes which was his first song to hit texas radio how It Goes is also a song that's featured on his debut album, Forever, which was released in August of 2018. Now look, I know that music is very subjective as to what everyone enjoys, but I'm happy, again, I want to reiterate, I'm happy to have selected Jared Flushy and Mando Salas as the first two Texas History Lesson spotlight artists because so many of their songs, for me, just feel like home. And the great news is that Mando is currently working on his second album. I'm going to let you know when it's available. But for now, go to Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, wherever. Go to YouTube, like I said, and listen and then go buy his music. Go see him when he gets back out on the road again. Go see him if you get a chance. I guarantee that many of you are about to find a new favorite artist to love and to follow and look forward to new music for years to come. So let's end this episode with the track Forever 
off of the 2018 album of the same name. Thanks, Mando. And thanks to everyone listening and sharing Texas history lessons. Until next time, take care of yourself and each other. Be kind. Adios. Adios.